0: It's good to see you um, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. As we continue worshiping uh, our great God and Savior this morning, as we continue to worship together as God's people, uh, we will uh, go through uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Um, let me pray as, uh, as we get started uh, with our time in God's Word this morning. Father God in heaven, thank you for your goodness to us, God, that you are a holy, righteous, just amazing God, creator, and father, and sustainer. And thank you for Jesus, your son, who uh, has lived the life perfectly that we should live but can't. And God, uh, that he died a death as our substitute on a cross given us forgiveness and right relationship with you, and uh, that he rose again and ascended at your right hand, and God has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell with us, to give us understanding of your scriptures, to stir up our minds' attention and hearts' affection. So, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do that now, that you would dwell here, inhabit the praises of your people, and shape us uh, through your word uh, in our time together uh, to be more like Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 11 Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give account." This is God's Word. Friends, God's Word exposes us for who we are and our desperate need for a Savior. And the written Word of God leads us to the living Word, Jesus, through whom God's promises for rest for us are fulfilled. In recent years, there's been a resurgence of interest in the Bible in our culture and in secular media. Um, you can see it anywhere you look. Um, you know, a decade or so, or so ago, there was a uh, Catholic church that started Theology on Tap downtown in which people would gather uh, in a bar or in a coffee shop, and, and they would have a, some sort of message and topic to discuss, and people would bring their Bibles, and often the, there was confusion and questions and even opposition. Uh, but by and large, there was a, an interest in the Bible. If you've tracked with uh, movies over the past several years, there's been some good movies out based on uh, biblical themes. There was the nativity story that came out several years ago about the birth of Christ. There was uh, One Night with the King that was based on the book of Esther. Uh, Recently, you may have even seen just this week, the previews for the movie uh, Noah with Russell Crowe. It looks pretty jamming, if you ask me. And social media has kind of blown up, people getting excited, saying, this looks great. And other people saying, oh, this looks just kind of ridiculous. Russell Crowe is Noah, really. But at the end of the day, it's a good thing that people in our culture, even through the media, are having an interest in the Bible, I think. I mean, no movie is going to answer your deep theological questions because no movie or film or, or anything is inspired by the word of God or, ins- or is the inspired word of God. But rather, uh, it should cultivate an interest in our hearts and minds to go back to the source, to Scripture. And in our day and age today, there's a resurgence of interest in the Bible, which is great because by and large, there kind of is a dismissing of the Bible. There is this feeling that the Bible is maybe not even relevant anymore. I mean, think about how many times you're on a trip and you check into a hotel and you open the drawer and there, what do you see? Under the phone book usually is... A Bible, right? A Gideon's Bible that has been placed there. And how often do we just look at it and close the drawer, right? We, we forget that, that uh, the written word records the, the spoken word of God for us, God's promises delivered to his people. Most recently, uh, a couple months ago, actually, there was a uh, the history channel did a, a series on the Bible, which I thought was pretty jam. And We bought the DVDs if you want to borrow them. Right. We watched it with our kids and it it led us. I mean, there were there were some uh, creative license portions, but that allowed us to open up our Bibles with our children and said, look, here's here's what this movie showed. But hey, let's look to the Bible and see how it really happens. You know, uh, let's let's kind of pick out maybe some discrepancies or some areas of uh, film exaggeration, as it were. And uh during the time of that, that. Bible history show. My family, uh, we were taking a walk around the block, and we ran into one of our neighbors who just struck up a conversation. He, uh, you know, was not a Protestant Christian. He just said, "Hey, Jeremy, I know you're you're a pastor. Hey, let's let's talk. I mean, you've been watching this Bible show." And I said, "Sure." And as we discussed, uh, it's a very smart man. He has a PhD. He's a scientist, right? And so as we began the conversation, he started asking me kind of what my opinion was of the Bible. Uh, story on the History Channel and then how I thought it kind of jotted with the actual Bible. And the conversation got really interesting uh, because he started uh, asking questions, very legit questions, not in angry opposition, but in very honest uh, wanting to know the answer. And I think, by and large that 's kind of where our culture is right now there's this there 's this desire to know what really happened and is it true and 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 I feel no threat whatsoever when people bring their doubts and fears and, and even a little opposition to the Bible because I think god 's word can handle it and I think where else to go to find the source of truth in scripture itself and so All of us enter this room this morning with some sort of idea about the Bible. Maybe you're in here saying, man, I love all those Bible movies. I can't wait to see Russell Crowe play Noah. Or maybe you're like, man, that's goofy. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm here as a seeker or a doubter or a skeptic. I don't know what I think about this Bible. Maybe you're here this morning saying, you know, I was raised in a fundamental church where I literally got hit over the head with a Bible if I answered wrong in Sunday school. Or maybe you're here today thinking, what a gift this is from God. Maybe you were here as a longtime worshiper of the Lord. Maybe you are not a believer. Maybe you are a seeker, doubter, or skeptic. Wherever you are in the spectrum of faith, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad that God has chosen to gather us this morning to open His Word, to learn about His Word, but moreover, to learn about the God whose Word this is and how this applies to you and I today. We see that over the course of the past couple chapters of the book of Hebrews, the author is pointing to Jesus as being uh, the fulfillment of God's promises, the uh, true and better priest, the true and better king, the true and better savior, the true and better uh, leader of God's people, the true and better uh, liberator and bringer of freedom. And we see that there is this statement amidst this this huge panoramic view of the work of Christ for us where the author says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This statement is placed uh, strategically by the author in the midst of this great uh, display of who Jesus is and how he is the fulfillment of what God the Father has promised for generations. And we see that that the first couple chapters is all about that, and then the next couple chapters is about how Jesus is is our great high priest. And then right in the middle, the author puts this statement about the Word of God. The Word. The Greek word is is logos, And we see uh, that God's word for us is a gift that exposes us for who we are, exposes our great need for a rescuer, and patterns the way we are to leave, trusting the promises of God, delivering us and giving us rest. See, first we see there is a command. As we looked at last week at the beginning of chapter 4, uh, the author is talking about there's a promise of rest that is available for us. That God, from the beginning of time, has, has created man and woman to, to walk and rest In God, with God. We see that in Genesis. We see that in Exodus as God is leading his people to freedom. He's promising them rest. Come to me, I will give you rest. Come to me, I will give you rest. Obey me and you will find rest for your souls. Follow where I'm leading you and you will have a place of rest. We see that uh, even when Jesus sets foot on the earth, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. Or the promise of rest has been a promise that is available to us through Christ. That promise still stands. The author of Hebrews says, this promise of entering rest still stands. Now that promise is there for us, but there is a command, an instruction from God's word. Verse 11 says this, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You see, God's Word says, look, the the God of heaven and earth has promised rest for us. Jesus has has made that rest possible for us. The rest is there. Enter it. Uh, By uh, obedience and faith, we are to enter the rest that God has promised, that Jesus has provided. It's trusting God's promises. It's obedience to God's Word, his, His spoken promise to His people. We see what happens next is if we are striving to enter that rest, if we are walking in obedience based on God's promise, based on his word, we see verse 13 says this. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So you see here, there's this promise of rest from God. Jesus provides that rest for us. There is a command for us to strive to pursue entering that rest in faith and in obedience. And what happens is we are not hidden from the sight of God, but we are naked and exposed to his eyes. That word naked, that word exposed, that that means to be laid bare. It's actually the imagery of being uh, almost like a a sacrificial animal being taken by the throat and pushed back so that their neck can be exposed to be slaughtered. It's a similar word used if you're a wrestler uh, to be uh, pulled back into submission as a, as a, and subdued in a helpless state by your opponent. Sounds kind of brutal, right? Right? It sounds kind of scary. So here we have the promise of strive to enter the rest of God. And once you get there, you will be exposed for slaughter. You will be subdued in a helpless state. You will be vulnerable. This sounds harsh, doesn't it? But look with me to where the word of God comes in. I mean... How how does God do this? Why would God do this? Why would God say, come to me and find rest, and when you get there, I'm going to expose your throat for slaughter. I'm going to subdue you in vulnerability. Does that bother anybody? We have to see how verse 12 connects verse 11 and verse 13. How how the promise to enter rest and the command for us to strive to enter rest and and how that rest looks like we would be laid bare, naked and exposed and vulnerable. We have to see how verse 12 connects those dots, how the word of God comes into play. Look at verse 12 with me. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is where we see that the Word of God is a gift to us. It's a gift for us, for God's glory, for our benefit. Look what happens here. The word, word, can mean speech. It can mean a saying. It can mean a promise. It can mean something that is said. And in Old Testament Hebrew culture, a word, something that was spoken, is a a tangible thing that happens. You and I today just shoot our words back and forth. I mean, we have social media. We can fire off any random idea, not even thinking about the implications of the words we're pouring out onto the screen, right? I mean, you could tweet something in 140 characters. You can Facebook status this, and we can often just shoot our mouths off right and left. I'm bad about this myself. I will confess to you. But in Old Testament Hebrew culture, a word was a very tangible thing. Like it was a very serious thing. When you, when you say something, it is something that is an actual, tangible thing. Not some ethereal, random concept or some passing whatever. It is, it is something that's tangible. I mean, if you look in the Old Testament, they take very seriously uh, blessings and curses. I mean, you can even look how, 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 uh, how during the Exodus they actually put people on one mountain and one group of people on the other, and they're, and they're reciting blessings and curses. These are very serious things. They are tangible things that, that, that come out of your mouth, and they are creative, right? I mean, it's why Jesus says, you know, don't swear by heaven and earth, just let your yes be yes, your no be no. It's why the very beginning of the Bible begins with God speaking. There's something powerfully creative about a word. I mean, it's a tangible, influential, creative, growing thing. It's not just a sound, right? Biblically speaking, a word is powerful. God created everything out of nothing by his word. Right? Jesus in the Gospels is said to be the, the Word of God incarnate, the Logos. The same word that's used here for word is the word that's used to describe Jesus as being God's Word incarnate, God's Word taking on flesh in human form. The word, Word, is a powerful word. Right? I mean, because word means a tangible, creative thing. It means, it, it means not just a concept, but the embodiment of a promise. It's the embodiment of someone's character. It's the embodiment of an intention from someone's heart. And so for God to create everything out of nothing by his word is revealing a promise to his creation, revealing his character, revealing his intent for his creation. For Jesus to be God's word incarnate, to be the word taking on flesh and in human form is God's promises being displayed to his people, being embodied, being fleshed out his promises his intentions revealing his character the word word is a big deal it's not an intangible fleeting concept it is something powerful something revelatory something connecting us to god's divine promises that ring true and here we see the author connecting several chapters of god's promises for deliverance from himself as a loving father to his children as Jesus fleshes that out and then how that rubber hits the road as it were for us to strive to enter that rest, to faithfully obey in light of those promises that are true. And the author says, the word of God is living and active. See, the word of God is God's, promise delivered to his people, the promise that he spoke everything into creation, the promise that he spoke blessings and commands to his people, the the, the good news of grace that he is sending his son Jesus to be our deliverer. Jesus himself is the word of God in flesh that spoke in words to deliver this gospel to us and, and flesh that good news out for us by his perfect life, his death on a cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and then sending his Holy Spirit for us. 2,000 years later for you and I today, we have the written account of God's promises. We have the written word. And this is good news for us. Let me say these pages will not save you. But these pages will reveal to you God using his Holy Spirit will bring understanding for these words to you to awaken a dead heart, to renew a a heavy mind, to look to the Christ that does save us. And that's great news for us. So the word, word, the logos, the speech of God, the promises of God that have been proclaimed and embodied in Christ have now been recorded for us in the written word. And that's good news. I'm a Bible thumper, can you tell? I love the Scriptures, but let me tell you, the Bible is not the third person of the Trinity. It's God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Word is a written account of the, of the verbal Word and the promises fleshed in Christ for us. And it's so good for us. It's a gift. It's a means of grace. the Holy Spirit who, who Jesus sent. To give understanding to the minds and awaken dead hearts is the Holy Spirit who inspired the Scripture to be written. And who gives us understanding today in our hearts and minds. See, the written Word, the whole purpose of the written Word is to lead us to the living Word, Jesus. That's why, unfortunately, there are so many quote-unquote biblical scholars. I mean, you could see them on I love the History Channel. man. I just love the History Channel. I mean, I love everything about the History Channel. I'm not ashamed to say I watch ancient aliens, man. I think that stuff's awesome. I don't believe a lot of it, but I think it's interesting when they're just like, well, you know, they, they try to compare religion to UFOs. It gets a little interesting, but um, I think it's fascinating. <laughs> and it doesn't, it doesn't make my faith waver at all. But I, but I see even on the History Channel so many times these brilliant men and women, I mean, these very smart men and women, some of, of whose books I've read will, will discount the divinity of Christ and they'll discount uh, creation, they'll discount... but well, I don't know how you do that. I mean, uh, creation didn't happen. Gotcha. Where did you get your Ph.D. from again? <laughs> brilliant men and women... Missing the intent of God's word for them, is not, you know, it breaks my heart. And you and I face that same struggle today. But what we see, Scripture talks about itself, saying the word of God is living and active. So what does this mean for you and I today? For you and I to look at the word of God saying, okay, the written word, the scripture is a written account of God's verbal promises and creation, his unfleshed promises uh, in Jesus, his ongoing promises by his Holy Spirit to bring his people to rest. I mean, how does this written word play out for you and I today? And the uh, scripture tells us this, that the word of God is living and active, sharp and piercing, and discerning. Okay, so I want to look at these descriptors of the Word of God that, that is talking about God's promises and His speech but also applies for us as we have those written accounts of God's Word on paper or on your iPad or your iPhone. Right, living and active. What does this mean? Living and active means that the Word of God is effective for His purposes. Living and active means... Uh, Well, how about Isaiah 55? God says this in Isaiah 55:11. He says, "So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth; it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it." God Himself, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, saying, "When I speak something, what will happen will be what I want to happen when I speak." I mean, God's saying, "I want to, I want to create something." And he speaks and it happens, right? God's word, what he speaks, shall happen. The purpose, the the character revelation from God, the heart's intent from what God has in mind when he speaks, happens. Whatever God says will be. No questions asked. Why? Because he's God. How often do you and I say something and it does return void, right? Right? I mean, think about it. It could be so frustrating. We could, you, could, you could say something and it returns to you void. You can say, hey, man, I, and sometimes it's not your fault. You can say, hey, man, I can't wait to see you. I'll, I'll meet you at 4 o'clock today. And what, you get a flat tire, you get stuck in traffic, your kids get sick, you get sick, car breaks down, you get called into work, you don't get to see your friend at 4 o'clock, right? You, your word to them didn't happen. Right? Sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes it is your fault. Sometimes you can say, hey, man, I uh, will be glad to help you out with that and then Saturday morning comes, you're like, I do not feel like getting up and helping that dude move that bed. Or you call into work sick, or you flake out in something, right? Our words often return to us void. Sometimes what we say doesn't come to pass. The good news is that whatever God says will come to pass. God is God. What he says will happen. What he says is true. Isaiah records the words of God saying, my word that goes out from my mouth shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This should give you great assurance. Whatever God says will happen. When God promises rest for his people, he delivers rest for his people. When God promises a rescuer and a deliverer, he gives us Jesus fulfilling his promise. When, God, when Jesus says, hey, I'm God incarnate, I am the Word and flesh, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest, you will find rest for your souls, that is a promise. God makes good on it. No need to doubt. The Scriptures are God's written, the, the written account of God's Word to His people. The, the Word of God that He speaks has been recorded for our benefit today, and the purpose that He has will be accomplished, it will succeed, because it's from God. Second Timothy three sixteen, the Apostle Paul writes this down all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's a great verse. Right? The, the scriptures are breathed out by God. I mean, the very words of God are now on paper for us. It's amazing. And this is for our benefit. It's for teaching, for profitable, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? What's the point of that? So that you would be complete, equipped for every good work. So when the writer of Hebrews says, hey, the word of God is living and active, that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, we can trust this because it comes from God. It will accomplish what the purpose is that God sent it out for. It is inspired by God as God breathed and we can trust that it is good for our teaching and reproof and correction for training and righteousness so that we can be complete, equipped for every good work. We don't need to doubt. We don't need to distrust this word. We need to go with it because it's from God. So I want to ask you this. What? I have a couple questions for you. Let us pause for a time of introspection. Right. What do you see as authoritative in your life? Just what? What? I mean, I was like, the Bible? No. Wrong answer. No, it's not the wrong answer. It's the right answer. But be honest. I want an honest answer. It's a very right answer. But I don't want a Sunday school answer. Just, I don't want any answer. I want you to think about it. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to start again. Um, what is authoritative in your life? I mean, think about where for the source of truth. What do you where, where do you look for validation for your identity? Well, where do you go to look for? How am I living my life right or not? Is it a magazine? Other books? This thing's maybe a history channel. I love the history channel, man. It's not authoritative in my life. Where do you go to look for your, for your source of truth and authority, for validation, for building up? I mean, where do you go to look for seeing if you are getting teaching and reproof and correction and training and righteousness? Where do you go to feel complete and equipped for every good work? Where? Who? What? Because all of us are seeking those things. All of us are th- seeking to be complete and equipped. We want to we be trained for some sort of righteousness, some sort of morality some sort of correction and whatever and often we look to magazines and culture we look to movies we look to whatever the popular vote may be we look to politics whatever we go to to find those things is we see it as a source of authority a source of truth the next question is this how how do you even view the bible do you view it as some outdated historical book? Do you view it with skepticism? Do you view it with uh, doubt? Do you view it with distrust? Do you view the written word as God's, the written account of God's spoken word? Do you believe that Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness? It's a promise. Do you believe it? See, the Word of God, I mean, here we see the author is saying, strive to enter this rest. God has promised you this rest. His his Word will not return void. You can trust that His Word will accomplish what, what He said it would. His Word, His promise to us is, here is some rest I have made for you. This is Jesus. He will take you into this rest faithfully follow Him faithfully obey faithfully trust relationally this Savior that I have for you strive to enter this rest and we step back and say wait a second, I don't, I'm not sure this magazine says this this politician says this this educated PhD guy says this this group of people that I find my value in says the contrary so what do you do? We see that the Word of God is living and active. We also see that the Word of God is sharp and piercing. Right? Sharp and piercing. And this is where it gets complicated. I'm not going to get into some great historical and theological debate here because that's not very profitable in this setting. But what happens is you see it says the the Word of God is living and active, and it says sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow. Okay, that is a very verbose, poetic way of saying that the Word of God can get to the depths of a person. Right, we're not going to argue, does that mean? There was a this dichotomy track? No, we're not. Just go with me on this one. It's a poetic way of saying that the Word of God can slice to the very depths of a human being and touch every single innermost part of that human being. Mind, will, emotions, desires, fears, doubts. Sources of joy. No part of you is unaffected by the Word of God, is what that's saying. we could get right down to you, man. To the very depths of what makes you you. To the depths of what you like about you. To the depths of what you don't like about yourself. Scripture goes there. To the very depths. Pierces you as sharp. It gets in there. Right. A two-edged sword has connotations both as a weapon and as like a sacrificial tool. Right? When, you, when you say a two-edged sword for a first century person, that can have both of those connotations. For, like a, for a, you know, a person living in the Roman Empire where there's like guards around, you have a two-edged sword. It's just ready for battle, man. You can like chop this and hack that. Right? But it also has the connotations of a small sacrificial knife used to slaughter an animal. To make things right with God and each other. And this is some good news for us to to get into that imagery. Because yes, the word of God is a weapon. You can defend truth, defend what is right. You can take on the, the offenses and lies of Satan, of sin, of evil. You can take those things on with the word of God like a sword. You can. But in the sense that it is a sacrificial weapon is what I want us to look at here. Because the Word of God makes us vulnerable. It exposes who we are and who God is. It is deeply moving within us. Right? For us to say, for us to see in verse 11, there is rest for us that we have to strive to enter into and we have to fight disobedience. We want to stay the course and enter this rest that God has promised, that Jesus has secured, that the Holy Spirit is guiding us in. And the scriptures, the word of God written for us, show us where that goes. What happens is there is a process that is going on, that we are being exposed, that we are being laid bare, that we are like a sacrificial animal, just vulnerable and open for whatever God has for us. And it can be scary because we like to be in control. We like to feel secure. We like to cover up and say, No, I'm really good. I'm really smart. I'm very moral. Look at these good things that I do. Look at this knowledge that I have. Look at the way that I serve here and do that. But the Word of God exposes us for who we are. It exposes our sins, it exposes our fears, it exposes our doubts, it exposes our utter need for a Savior. It is sharp and piercing to the innermost depths of us. The good news is we can trust not just this word, we can trust the God whose word this is. And that's the point. Because these pages don't love you. These pages will not save you. But they point to the God who loves you. They point to the Christ that saves you. It patterns how we are to live as loved, saved, rescued people. And that's good for us, because word can mean promises, it can mean the revelation of someone's character, it can mean the intent of a person's heart. Maybe you've heard the Bible compared to a love letter, have you? I mean, if you grew up in Sunday school, you, you should have, because that was part of the curriculum in every church across America in the 80s and 90s. And it's good. I mean, it's right. If you've ever heard somebody say, this is God's love letter for you, it's right. Because a love letter reveals something about the character and the heart's intent of the person who wrote it. I'll give you a for instance. I asked my wife's permission to share this. We were, uh, 10 years ago, I proposed to my wife. She said yes. We were, we were on a bike ride, and I was so nervous because I can, I can, you know that I can bumble and fumble around with my words when I'm nervous. You see it every Sunday. And I didn't want to mess this up. I wanted, I wanted this engagement moment to be perfect because I loved her and I wanted it to be nice. So we went for this bike ride. We were down by the river. I had a ring in my pocket. My knee was shaking. I couldn't even ride. She was like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I don't know, man. Can't, can we just walk? We just started riding. I know. I was nervous. I got down by the river and in my pocket I would written this love letter for her. It's a letter explaining my intent to marry her and why I wanted to. The things I found valuable in her, the things that I hoped she could see for me as a loving husband, like the kind of man God was building me to be. I, was, I read for my wife, my girlfriend at the time, Melody. Um, I got down on one knee I and mean, I read this letter to her revealing something about my character. I think there's probably a couple punctuation mess-ups in there, some, you know, I was publicly schooled, so my phrasing may not be that great, comma, splice, semicolon, whatever. But the intent on the paper was for me to reveal my heart's intent to love her and to be with her for the rest of my life. It was a love letter, and and we have a copy of that letter framed at our house. And my wife and I, we could walk by that letter any day we want. We could look at that letter, and we could read that letter verbatim to each other. We could just read it, you know. But what's important is not only the intent of that writing, but the effects afterwards. I mean, the past nine years of marriage should display what that paper wrote about, right? I mean, it would do no good whatsoever for, for my wife to have a framed letter hanging on her wall and for me saying, look, I, I, I want to be with you the rest of my life. I am praying that the Lord would grow me to be an amazing husband for you and I will walk with you in faithfulness and, and love you and cherish you. It would do no good for my wife whatsoever if we framed that in the most beautiful frame and hung it in our living room and I said, I'm, I'm out. I'm going to run around on you. I'm not going to provide for you. I'm not going to help with the kids. I'm not even going to be here. I think I'm just going to go, you know, hiking for six months. I'll see you later. That would do no good whatsoever for my wife. That would be a lie on the paper. What happens is that intent, the intent of my heart was placed on that paper, but the result, the effect has been every day since. Not just that moment, but every day since. You with me? In the same way, God has written for us a letter of revealing his character, his intent revealing something about himself and every day he is showing us the effects of that. I mean God has made good on his promise and, and every day that we, we open the scriptures and we can say God promises rest he shows the rest around us when, when God promises deliverance and forgiveness of sins we see that effect and that is good news for us The life around us should prove what we believe. It should prove what is written. In Scripture, the Word of God written, recording the Word of God spoken, lays us bare like a two-edged sword to the throat of a sacrificial animal, like a wrestler being subdued and vulnerable. We are hanging there open, exposed for the worst of us and the best of us. But the good news is because God's Word is sharp and piercing, His Spirit uses us to, uses it to chop us up on the inside for our growth, for our sanctification, for our development to become more like Jesus. So we see God promising rest and saying, you will enter this rest, you will be exposed and laid bare. And this is what happens in that process. My Word that is breathed out, that is, is a verbal promise, that has now been written down, it is living and active. It's effective for my purposes, right? It is sharp and piercing. It will get down to the depths of you exposing your character flaws and whatever else, but it's good. And thirdly, it says this, it is discerning. Because the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It judges the heart. Right? The word there is the same word that's used for critic. It is, is a critical judging, not in an evil way, but in a very precise way, judging the thoughts and intentions within you. Right? The Holy Spirit that inspired Scripture is the same Holy Spirit that gives us understanding in our hearts and minds as it works within us. Right, I mean, the Apostle Paul wrote in Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Right? We see later, that, or before that actually, in John 16.13, that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to dwell with his people. He said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit... So we know that the Holy Spirit who inspires Scripture is the same Holy Spirit that gives us understanding today as we read it and study it and talk about it. It brings to our mind the reality of the promises of God being fleshed out around us. This goes beyond our actions, this goes beyond our morals, but into our hearts and intentions. And motivations. So, friends, when you open the Word of God, trusting that it is living and active, that God has purpose for His Word is to pull you back and to lay you bare, to expose who you are, your dire need for a Savior, your dire need for a rescue, and also to reveal to you the promise that He has for you. It's such good news. Don't take it from me, take it from Him. And when we are laid bare, as His Word chops us up. Like a two-edged sword discerning within us our thoughts and our intentions of our heart, we see the effect, verse 13, that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I love this, because he has talked all the way in verse 4 about rest, rest, rest. Verse 11, let's strive to enter that rest. Verse 12, seemingly out of the blue, he talks... Not about God and Jesus and us, but he talks about the word. Just for one verse. And then verse 13 says, no creature is hidden from his sight. Right? So we see this is where the word acts like a thing that God uses to expose us. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now this is where it can either get overjoyous for you or over fearful. Either way, this is God's intent for you to hear. As a Christian, we take great joy, we have great confidence that when we are exposed and laid bare, that what God sees is Christ's redemptive work in us. That's our only hope. If you are not a Christian and you were on an operating table like the Word of God, right? the two-edged sword is, is there, you were laid bare, vulnerable, and exposed apart from Christ, you have no hope. No, no hope. The Word of God exposes us for who we are. It exposes our need for a Savior. But by God's grace, the Word of God also points us to that Savior. Right? Several years ago, I was a chaplain, and I was doing some chaplaincy work in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, at Palmetto Richland Hospital, and their first responder urgent team, and a guy was brought in who had been shot nine times, and this was quite possibly the largest man I'd ever seen. He was a really big man, and he had been shot nine times. And um, because he was so big, um, his body actually maybe had shielded his uh, vital organs from being punctured by the bullets. None of the bullets exited his body. All nine were in his body. And he was awake. And he was conscious. And he was not really in that much pain. And as they brought him in, it was my job as a chaplain, as the medical professionals got his, you know, vitals together, <laughs> my job was to walk over to him and ask what he needed. Like, how could, do you need me to pray for you? Do you need me to call somebody? Where's your family? Can I go sit with them and pray with them? What, what do I need to do? And this man was scared, and the doctor said, I need you to stay over here with me while I give him some news. The bad news was this man was so large, they could not fit him into any machine any kind of technology to see if if he had internal bleeding, if he had punctured vital organs or anything. They they couldn't fit him into anything. They actually, this sounded like something off a TV show, they actually said we might need to call the zoo. I mean, they they were talking about taking him to Riverbank Zoo to have him scanned because he was so big. But then the doctor made the call. He says, if there's internal bleeding from nine nine bullets, this guy is not going to make it that long. We We need to get in there. We need, we need to open him up to see if, if there's bleeding. We need, to, we need immediate attention for this man. We, have no time, we don't have time to take him to the zoo. We need to get in there now. Because if we open him up and there is destruction to his vital organs, we need to address it right away. We have no time for scanning, right? And so the doctor said, I need you to stand next to this man as I deliver this news to him. Because he was so large, even just the exploratory surgery could do him mm-hmm. in. This man was in a vulnerable state. He was literally laying naked on a, on a stretcher, crying, saying just, just for them to even see if I, how badly I'm wounded, that might kill me. The bullets may not kill me, but the actual surgery to see may do me in. He had a very large family. They were all there supportive, multiple pastors. I think half the church choir was there. And so I get to sit in this room and pray with his parents, with his pastor, saying, praying for God's discernment, uh, wisdom to be imparted to the surgeon team, right? And this is what happens for you and I today. Scripture says that we are naked and laid bare. We have been wounded, all of us, by sin, by others, by your own foolish decisions. Right, All of us have been wounded to some degree, I and mean, we have bullets in us from somewhere. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, man, the church wounded me. I'm sorry. Let's have the Word of God slice us open and lay us bare together, shall we? And this is what the Word of God does. This is what God does with His Word. It says, the Word of God is active, living and active, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions and so here we see God. It says no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom, of him whom we must give an account. So here we see God as a surgeon. We're laying on the table, wounded, naked, exposed, and the word of God is doing exploratory surgery on us, revealing where the wounds are and revealing the remedy, Jesus. And by God's grace, if you are in Christ. The wounds will be healed, the bullets removed, the punctured organs saved, (laughs) stitched up, patched up. You might have a scar, but you will move on by the grace of God. But as we lay bare without Christ as our surgeon, we have no hope. We would be just laying on the table frantically hoping that somebody would help us, but we have no hope. Because there is none. Jesus is our surgeon. The scripture is his scalpel. It's the only hope we have. So friends, in closing, let me say this. I'm very passionate about the Bible, but what is hard for me and what I don't want you to hear is that the Bible will save you. It won't. Jesus will save you and him alone. Um, But his word points to him. It testifies to him. It's the love letter that that reveals some of the character of the person who wrote it and points us to that person in flesh, Jesus. The word of God exposes our need for help and also shows us who the surgeon is to come and rescue us. This is why we... uh, maybe imperfectly, but by God's grace, try to center every aspect of our lives around Scripture because we believe that Scripture is God's written Word, which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So here's a couple things I would ask of you in closing. Um, May we we devote time uh, to be in and around uh, God's Word. Uh, trusting that god will use it to lay us bare but also trusting uh, that as he exposes uh, who we are and how we are and our great need for rescue that we can rest in the promise that uh, the rescuer is there we're not alone on the operating table he was he is there jesus is there by our side ready to um do surgery on our behalf and so if you're here today and um if you're if you're a Christian or even if you're not a Christian, just wherever you are in the faith, we want you to uh, to have a copy of God's Word. We will give a Bible to you. We have some in the back. If you don't like those, I'll buy you one, in so much as it is a Christian Bible, and um, we will help you get on a plan to read it. I would ask that you read the Bible every day, study the Bible, meditate on the Bible, uh, hear hear the Bible preached. I mean, let's gather together and worship. Uh, together with the scriptures, let's worship God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and let us do so uh, with the scriptures in our hand as we study and proclaim. And when you gather in Bible studies and you know listen to podcasts and whatever, uh, may it be a scripture saturated, trusting that it is God's word for your benefit today. But I'll say that scripture doesn't save you; it points you to a Savior. And that God uses his word to shape us to become more like his son, Jesus. And this is the commission we've been given, is to be people of the book, so to speak. People of the word, saturated in scripture, uh, trusting the promises of God that have been proclaimed and recorded for us. Trusting the promises of God, the word of God incarnate, Jesus as our savior and rescuer. And trusting God, the Holy Spirit, who inspired this word to illuminate that understanding in our hearts and minds uh, that we, we would be awakened from death. To life, um, let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for a time in Your Word. God, I pray that um, God, You would work uh, work in us. Uh, God, by Your Holy Spirit, uh, through Your Word, through Your Scriptures. God, I thank You for the gift of the Bible um, that we have, that is a written record of Your spoken Word. God, I thank You that um, we can trust Your promises. God, as Creator, as a loving Father as the one who is providing rest for your weary people. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Word of God and fleshed, that you are uh, God, um, the Word incarnate, proclaiming and displaying the promises of God for our benefit. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would save many, God, in this room, that you would save uh, those who don't know you, who are seeking comfort and rest and salvation and repair elsewhere. And Jesus, I pray that you would, um, you would do so, please. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you inspired uh, the word to be written and preserved for our benefit today. And Holy Spirit, that you give our minds understanding and our hearts reception of this good news. And, and I thank you that you work through the word ongoingly. That as we open and read and meditate and talk about and hear preach that you use this word as a scalpel to do exploratory surgery in our, intent, our mind's intention and our heart's affections and, and God that we would be exposed and laid bare trusting you Jesus as the surgeon who uses this scalpel to reveal our desperate need for rescue. And thank you that you were there to remedy the situation, to redeem our brokenness, to take out the hurt and the pain and to bring healing. And so God, I pray that you would do amazing things for your glory and for our joy. We ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.